Please turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Please stand for the reading of the word. Verses 1 through 4. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved inalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at, at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Please be seated. Do not drift away. Don't drift away from the truth. Don't drift away from Christ. Don't drift away from your commitment. If you had a boat, you parked it at the dock, but it drifted away. Why would that happen? You hadn't tied it off. If you were in a cove swimming and you looked around and your boat was not there, it was because you didn't lower the anchor. As Christians, it's wonderful to be saved. Saved from hell, saved from the world's evil system, from ourselves. To be able to discern between good and evil and right and wrong. To understand God's Word, to apply it to our lives. To know heaven is our future. To live eternally in the presence of God. To love others sacrificially. To serve God using the spiritual gifts He's given us. All good stuff. But is it okay to just begin well? To be committed and even serve for a few years, but then then drift away? course it's not. And it begs the question, if that lasts too long, were you ever saved in the first place? Does it mean you're only backsliding or do, and, and you need divine discipline or do you need eternal judgment? Let's say this at the start of the message. It won't happen if Christ is the anchor of your soul. Turn to chapter 6 of Hebrews, starting verse 17. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as the anchor of the soul, a hope most sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus is entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. God is holy. 
God does not lie. He keeps his word and he says Jesus is our hope. And he is by his saving work on the cross. Christ is the anchor of our soul. Anchor was a common ancient metaphor for stability. Hope provides security and stability for the soul. Don't drift away from that. But that describes so many people who started in the church. At one time, they seemed to be excited about Christ, and then that excitement just vanished. Matthew 13, 20 and 21. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only but it is only temporary. And when affliction comes because of the word, he immediately falls away. Prayer and the church become perfunctory. There's little thought, little effort. Success is more important than holiness. But as we talk about this drifting, let's first look at an Old Testament example of that. Turn back with me to Second um, Chronicles 24. We'll take a look at Joash. Second Chronicles 24. Verses 1 through 3. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zibiah from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he became the father of his sons, of sons and daughters. So he had a good beginning, but, but what do you see there that's a problem? In verse 3, he did right what was in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jesus needs to be the anchor of our soul. And even when our mentors, even when people that we have, have learned Christ from walk away or have weird doctrines or whatever, that won't affect us because we are anchored in Christ. And the priest took two wives for him. That wasn't good either. Verses 4 through 7. Now it came about after that that Joash decided to restore the house of the Lord. And he gathered the priests and the Levites and he said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and collect money from all of Israel to repair the house of your God annually. And you shall do the matter quickly. But the Levites did not act quickly. So the king summoned Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the levy fixed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, on the congregation of Israel for the tent of the testimony? For the sons of the wicked, Athaliah, had broken into the house of God and even used the holy things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. So Joash was obedient. 
He was obedient to the law. And we see in verses 8 through 11, his enthusiasm for righteousness spread. Verses 12 through 16. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. And they hired masons and carpenters to restore the house of the Lord and also the workers in iron and bronze to repair the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored and repair work uh, to repair the work and the, that re- progressed in their hands and they restored the house of God according to the specifications and strengthened it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada and it was made into utensils for the house of the Lord, utensils for the service and the burnt offering and the pans and utensils and the gold and silver and the offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. Now when Jehoiada reached a ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. They buried him in the city of David among the kings because they had done well in Israel and to God and his house. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and they bowed down to the king and the king listened to them. So after the priest died, his spiritual manner, things changed. And he turned away from God, it says in verses 17 through 19. He turned away from God. He listened to ungodly advisors. He would not listen to the men of God. Is that how it started for you? You were excited at first, but then you stopped going to church regularly. You stopped reading your Bible regularly. Your prayer life waned. You let those outside of the body of Christ influence you. People not concerned with the will of God. And we see then how far it went. He, in verses 20 through 22, Joash goes as far as murder, killing the son of his mentor. Now certainly you may not go that far when you stray, when you drift. But you might ignore or undermine the authority of the preaching of the word. Instead of humbling yourself, you attack them, you ignore the word, you avoid the word. God sent a messenger to warn them not to continue to drift away. And we see what happens in verses 23 through 25. Where God judged Joash. Now it happened at the turn of the year that the army of the Armenians came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem, destroyed all the officials of the people from among the people, and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Indeed, that army came with a small number of men, yet the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. And when they departed from him, for they left him very sick, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and murdered him in his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David. But they 
but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. God will not be silent with your drifting. He will respond and you will not like the results. Was Joash saved? Was he a believer? Well, we can't say for certain, but not likely. There's no repentance. He was not honored in death as were the other kings. So much promise wasted because he drifted away. As we look this morning at Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, think carefully about your own walk with Christ. Are you maintaining a course of righteousness or are you drifting? Did you have a good start only to drift and experience God's discipline or will you one day receive God's judgment? Do not drift, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Lisa, I forgot my water. Will you please bring it to me? Sorry. We must pay attention, verse 1. Back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. The main reason Christ's superiority to angels has been so emphasized now begins to appear. The older revelation, the law, was given through angels, but the final revelation was given through his son. So this, view, this new revelation demands serious attention. Hell is full of those who were never aggressively against Christ, but they didn't pay close attention. So they drifted from God. They, they had given a verbal commitment to Christ, but these Jews were going back to Judaism to dodge the persecution they were receiving. Today, some are, are going back to Roman Catholicism or mainline denominations because while they heard the message, they didn't pay close attention. They would like to go to heaven, but they were not willing to suffer for Christ. So they ignored the demands of the gospel and they stand condemned. It's not enough to just preach the gospel. You've got to warn people of the consequences. You have to exhort those who are believing the, the gospel to stand firm. It says, for this reason, day, in the Greek, it is binding, it is necessary. We must pay much closer attention with extreme care. Give heed to, to attach oneself to, to adhere to. The word is, is commonly used of bringing a ship to land. With the anchor of my soul, it sounds like the author, whoever it is, was familiar with boating or familiar with the sea. So that we do not drift away again with boats to flow by. It was, it was used of something slipping from one's memory. 
or a ring slipping off your finger or, again, a ship drifting away. You're letting the most important thing pass by without giving the attention it requires. You shouldn't let your wife's birthday pass by. You need to remember that and the anniversary, let alone the urgency of hearing and committing yourself to the gospel. Be spiritually alert. Understand the consequences of letting that opportunity pass you by. There's someone in this world, Satan, who wants to destroy your soul. For that not to happen, you can't neglect this salvation. Being indecisive in spiritual things is fatal. Not to act is to start to drift. We need to pay close attention reading the Word, praying, in Bible study, being in discipleship. The danger is that if we don't, we'll drift away. We will not be experiencing the stability of the anchor. Drift away, as we said, like a boat. You thought you tied it off. You thought the anchor was down. But you come back the next morning and the boat is gone. The drifter has to face the consequences for willfully refusing to attach himself to Christ. If you drift away, you were never attached. You were never attached. If you leave Christianity and you become a practicing Jew so you can be approved by your family or you can get back into the synagogue, um, you never knew Christ. We discussed Joash a minute ago, uh, his downfall. And, and now let's talk about his son Amaziah in Second Chronicles 25. Don't turn to that. I'll just give you the highlights. It says there that he did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with his whole heart. Think about that. You say you love God, you come to church, but you can't say you serve God with your whole heart. Aren't you in danger of falling away from Christ? Aren't you in danger of drifting? You hold on to a non-believing girlfriend or boyfriend. You're immoral at times. Your viewing habits are terrible. You watch the Kardashians that promotes nothing but greed and lust. Pay close attention. Your soul is in jeopardy. So what about Amaziah? Well, he killed those who assassinated his father. But not their kids, because of what the law said. The law said, fathers shall not be put to death for sons, nor sons for the fathers. Each shall be put to death for their own sins. He then listened to the prophet when he let a hundred thousand Israel Israelite mercenaries go, and they fought Seir only um, with the men of Judah. They had already paid a hundred talents to those mercenaries, and, and Amaziah was worried about that. But the prophet said, the Lord has much more to give you than this. 
Don't let anything stand in your way of doing God's will. If your boss said to you, you know, or you say, hey, I have to go, you know, like once a month, my office, the guys would go to the strip club. If I don't, I'm going to be out of place and, and I could lose my job. Where will I find a job that pays as much as that does? And I think the prophet would say the same thing to you. The Lord has much more to give you than this. And how about a clear conscience? That's priceless. And your witness. He will meet your needs if you take that stand. Amaziah obeyed and they won the battle. But then what did he do? He took the enemy's gods and he bowed down before them and he burned incense to them. And it says the anger of the Lord burned against him. And the prophet asked, and this is a great question, listen to this. Why have you sought the gods of the people who have not delivered their own people from your hand? Excellent question. Whatever you put before God will eventually disappoint you. God will not. God will not. So how did it end for Amaziah? Disaster. When Remember, Judah and Israel were separate. Separate nations at that time. And they fought Israel and they lost. And Israel tore down part of the wall of Jerusalem. And they looted the temple and the king's house. And he died in shame. Great start, horrible finish. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home where mom and dad read you the Bible. They prayed with you. They took you to church and Sunday school and VBS and Awana. But you did not pay close attention. And now you're drifting. And I say to you this morning, go back to the anchor of your soul. The things the world offers, the things you lust after will please you for a moment, but never deeply, never eternally. Point number two, we must not neglect Christ. Two through four, verse two. For if the words spoken through the angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, the words spoken by angels... In the giving of the law, remember in uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 53, Stephen said, And you received the law as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it. Paul says in Galatians 3.19, The law was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. And who is that mediator? Moses. Moses. The angel's word was sure, it was firm, it was valid, it was binding. It could not be challenged. Violators of their word would be judged. And if the law came through angels, how much more should respect be given the message that came through the Son? The penalties given out for violating the law show God takes it very seriously. That means it's urgent to obey it. 
apathy, indifference will only cause you to drift. If you leave today and you say, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, whatever. I prayed to receive Christ at some point. I come to church sometimes. I pray sometimes. I, I read the Bible every once in a while. I would say you're a little boat drifting away from the dock. The anchor is yet to be lowered. Don't play around with Christianity. Don't play around with Christianity. It is not a game. It is life and death. Be disciplined. Be diligent. This isn't talking about backsliding. Where a true Christian has a period of disobedience. Again, if you return to Judaism or Roman Catholicism or some inclusive mainline rainbow flag flying mainline church, you have neglected this great salvation. Verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Disaster will result if you neglect it. My brother asked me once, do all people who are liars and deceive people go to hell? And I said, everyone who rejects Jesus Christ goes to hell. There are plenty of people who neglect Jesus Christ who think they're not neglecting Jesus Christ. They go to church. They say all the right things. They may even tithe, but down deep, down deep, they think, you know, if they're good enough, if they do enough good work, somehow God's going to let them in the kingdom. And maybe, maybe like my brother who heard the gospel over and over again and still didn't trust Christ because what he heard did not profit him because it was not united with faith. Hebrews 4.2 Talking about the Old Testament generation who received a divine proclamation of deliverance like we have and were both to respond in faith. The Exodus generation did not receive the promised benefit because they did not respond in faith. That's a warning to us who have been promised forgiveness of sins and and heaven through faith in Christ. So let's just let's ask a question at this point. What is saving faith? The Gospel Coalition said this. It is faith that not only knows and comprehends the facts about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also trusts in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And I would add to that repentance. On the website gotquestions.org, they said these are some of the signs of saving faith. And so as we go through these, I have 11 of them here. As we go through these, check those off for yourself. Number one, do you enjoy having fellowship with Christ and other Christians? Number two, would, you, would people say you walk in the light and not in the darkness? 
Number three, do you admit and confess your sin? And I don't mean, you know, the first of the month when we do communion. Every day. Probably several times a day. I, I do. Number four, are you obedient to the word of God? Number five, does your life indicate you love God rather than the world? Number six, is your life characterized by doing what is right? Number seven, do you maintain a pure life? Number eight, do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? You're not going to be perfect. We're always going to sin. But as Christians, we repent of that. We confess it. But do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? Number nine, do you love others? Number ten, do you have a clear conscience? Number eleven, do you experience victory in your walk with Christ? Remember 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Do you see those eleven things? Do you believe in the person and work of Christ? And then you see some of those 11 things are true of you. If you neglect Christ, you won't escape God's wrath. This great salvation God designed for his own glory because it involved the incarnation and the cross and the resurrection to make that salvation available to save sinners like you and me. So if you pass the test, And you're in the kingdom. You're in Christ. You come to church because you love God. And you love other Christians. And you want to know the word. And you want to be equipped to serve and share Christ. Again, verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard This is an indication, I think, that the author of Hebrews was not one of the original apostles. Confirmed means to guarantee. There is no doubt about the salvation offered, first by Christ, confirmed by the apostles. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. Grudem in his study Bible says this about those two verses. The testimony supporting faith in Christ is not a vague spiritual inkling, but has definite substance. It is the message of the incarnation, the death and resurrection through which eternal life has been made available through faith in Christ. And it is a faith that is evident. People can see that in you. That you love God, that you love others. But in the first century, God offered more proof. Verse 4. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Signs and wonders. This great salvation was made certain through the preaching of the apostles and signs and wonders. 
John 5:37 and the Father who sent me he has testified of me The gospel's not a human creation and the early hearers were not left in doubt as to its origin it was God breathed men by men moved by the holy spirit spoke from God These miracles were not pointless displays of power they were a spotlight on the truth and on Christ Acts 2:22 through 24 Men of Israel listen to these words Jesus the Nazarene a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death but God has raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power so pay close attention do not drift away accept the gospel unite it with faith repent and follow him If you neglect so great a salvation there is no hope there is no hope for you so what did we learn today the Jews in the first century were drifting back to Judaism because of persecution because they were being excluded from the synagogue they were being alienated from their families The author of Hebrews tells them to pay close attention to the message of Jesus their Messiah. The message confirmed by the apostles and signs and wonders. And remember we said confirmed means to guarantee. Chapter 4 says don't fall short of God's rest. Promise it was the promised land for the Old Testament Jews and it's God's great salvation for us. don't fall short because you don't unite what you hear with faith a saving faith that transforms you and is evident in the way you live how do we apply it make sure your boat is tied to the dock that the anchor of your soul is bringing stability to your lives and assurance of your salvation Don't drift away. Don't be apathetic. Don't don't be indecisive. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Put away your idols of relationships, career, sports, whatever, anything that you put before God. Don't don't start well and end in shame. Before we we're done, let's consider one more king, one more Old Testament king. Hezekiah's son Manasseh. And again, I'll just give you the highlights from 2 Chronicles 33. It says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was involved in witchcraft and divination and sorcery. He misled Judah to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Bad guy. And God punished him severely and the Assyrians took him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, how many of us came to Christ when we were in distress? 
How many of us maybe start to drift away, but when we're in distress, we come back and get on our knees. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before God, the God of his fathers. He prayed to God, and God brought him back to Jerusalem. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God and worshipped him. So what's worse? Worse. To start strong and then stray? Or start in rebellion, but then in the end repent? That's a no-brainer. So the question is, which describes you? Which describes you? You were once on fire, but now you're a pew-potato? P-E-W, pew-potato? Or you once were in rebellion, and now you're a servant. Now you're a servant. You stop drifting and neglecting his word. Don't think you can drift or continue in rebellion, and God will be silent. He will not. Repent and unite what you have heard with genuine saving faith. Let's pray. Father, there's nothing better than having a clear conscience because we have trusted Christ and we live for you. We follow. We repent of our sins. We confess them. Help us to know that that is an ongoing situation. That we will be doing that if we're right with you until the day we see you face to face. If there is anyone in this room tonight or today, this morning, who is drifting, Father, I ask that by the power of your Spirit you draw them back to the truth. Draw them back to your Son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.